knowing the Lord. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew 13, 24 to 25 and verse 30. We are among the many who have struggled to believe in a world where it seems our enemies triumph and our own wills fail us. But the promises of God are not only for the present, they point us to that which is to come. To know the Lord is to know his promises without having seen them fulfilled. Gathering around his word and table, we meet those promises. His voice speaks of what will be, and in the flesh and blood of Christ, we taste the future that will come by his power and promise. To know the Lord in this way is to enjoy comfort in trial and to have hope that will endure the tests that come. It is enough for us to know that God knows the hearts of people and that his tension will not endure. When Jesus comes in his glory, the angels will gather out of his kingdom all who do not belong. Then the righteous shall shine like the sun. So take heart, people of God. morning. Good to see all of you here today as we gather once again. A lot of you came in and just, just that's good. I didn't see, when I went back to get robed, there weren't anybody in here. That's good. A couple of things. Uh, Pastor Andrew is gone again today serving the, the, the larger church, church with a capital C. He was again at, at Bethel. He'll be back next week. And uh, next week is uh, a really important day for him to be back on because that is the day that we are going to install our new principal, Mr. Tim Gabbard, who is back here. Why don't you wave to us and let's give him a round of applause. We're really glad, really glad to have Tim, uh, Tim, with, us, uh, Tim with us today. Uh, <clears throat> so that's next week on the 18th. Uh, also, I should tell you that uh, you probably have heard that Sandy Brown passed away. Her funeral is Tuesday uh, at 1 o'clock, and if you are a choir member, the choir is going to sing, so look for an email. I was told to tell you to look for an email and about, about that. Uh, also, today is blood pressure day, so if you are going to uh, have your blood pressure pumped up and taken, uh, Tony says, please do that right away when church is over. Go over there and do it, because she wants to go to Bible class. <laughs> Speaking of Bible class, that's uh, today we, we continue our, our study, conclude our our two-week study of the early history of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Last week we saw the Saxon immigration and the struggles that they had with leadership. Today we'll see the consequences of that, what, what happened and how that actually had a, a part in shaping the kind of church that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod 
uh, became. And I think that's everything. So with that, let's uh, take a moment to greet one another and as we begin, get ready to begin our, our worship day. God bless your worship today. <laughs> Good morning. I'm going to go up here and see. Oops. Pastor O'Brien, many years ago, was the pastor. Oh. Pastor Apple's much younger than he was. But he's a At least you know when my mic's on. It's that. I don't think that's me. We begin then today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart, so that I may honor you. With all my heart I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. O oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Listen closely to my prayer, O oh Lord. Hear my urgent cry. We come to, uh, uh, to worship every week. Uh, going, having gone through a week dealing with all sorts of struggles and sin and whatever and participating in that. Uh, so we come and as we prepare for worship, one of the first things we do is confess our sins and plead for God's forgiveness, knowing full well that there is forgiveness for all of our sins. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive ourselves and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins to God, our Father. Most merciful, merciful God, God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
us pray. Oh, steadfast Lord, you are the great I am whose promises never fail us and in whom alone salvation is to be found. Grant us with your hearts to trust your mercy and courage in the face of doubt and fear, that we not surrender hope to darkness and faith to unbelief. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. This time we invite the children to come forward for this morning's children's message. Tessa has to get all dolled up, but here she comes. All right. How are you doing this morning? Good. All right. In a little bit, we're going to hear a parable. You know what a parable is? A parable is a story that Jesus would tell that would talk about something in heaven terms, in Christian terms, uh, but he would do it as a story and then have things that meant something in that story. So we're going to look at some of the items from the story and we're going to try to match them up here. Do you think we can handle that? This okay. There was a farmer. You see how the farmer's throwing the seeds here? Yeah. There was a farmer, they say, that, that went out and he put good seeds down in the field. Okay? And there's his field. Very pretty field, huh? Like my grass to look like that, but... Not here in Florida. And he threw out wheat. Wheat's good stuff, isn't it? We use it to, put, to make bread and to make some of our other foods, right? Okay. But while he was sleeping, one of his enemies came along. See the enemy there? It's kind of a bad-looking little, nasty-looking farmer, huh? And he threw in some weeds. Now, we don't want weeds in our garden. Why? Why, do, why don't you want weeds in your garden? It kills flowers, and they, they don't look that great, do they? No. Okay. Well, his workers came to him, and they said, Hey, there's all these weeds out there in the field. Should we go grab them? And the farmer said, No, I don't want you to grab them yet. We're going to let them grow up together. And then when harvest day comes, we'll grab them both together. So there they are harvesting. Harvesting is when they gather everything. We'll gather it together, and we'll separate them then. Okay. Now, let's see if we can put some of these items together. So, I have my sower, right? All right. And my field. He goes out to the field, and he puts wheat, which is really good for us. And then the enemy comes, and he puts in weeds, and the workers come and talk to him, and then they go to harvest. Okay. So, Jesus was using this to talk about us here on earth, okay? Remember I said it has a heavenly meaning. So, who do you think would represent God in this story? Oh, the sower, you got it. Okay, and who would represent the angels? The workers that were with him. Good job. You're on top of this this morning. Okay. So, who would represent the devil? Oh, of course, the bad farmer. You got it. What about the people who don't believe in Jesus? Now, the devil, actually, they're going to be your weeds. Okay? Because remember, it's a story, so some, sometimes items represent people. Judgment Day, the last day, who do you think, what's the going to be where we judge? And he tells us he's going to separate the believers from the non-believers. I think it's going to be the field, the wheat, or when they harvest everything. Harvest. Good call. Okay, the earth. Which one do you think the earth is? You got it, the field and the believers. So what Jesus was saying was God on the earth 
put down people to believe in him that would go to heaven with him. And the devil came along and put unbelief in there, people that were not going to believe in God. And the angels came to God and said, God, there's these unbelievers there. Should we do something about them so we have just the believers that are going to come to heaven? And God says, no, we're all going to be together for a while. But on Judgment Day, we're gonna, everybody's going to come together and the believers will go to heaven with me. Okay? So when we're listening to the gospel story today, you think we can, we can remember all those pieces? Good job. Thank you so much. Let's do a quick prayer and then you can head back to your seat. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent us the Bible so that we can learn more about you, these stories so we can learn more about the world you've given us and where we're going to get to go from here up to heaven someday. Please bless our day and keep us safe throughout. All we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. First lesson. She told me to give you this one. She told me to give you this one. Yes. Time out. <laughs> okay, well. It's a little embarrassing. Now is it on? All right. Well, stick this back in here. Okay, now, the first lesson is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. <clears throat> as he so often does, God identifies himself as Israel's king and redeemer, and he warns the people, as he so often does, against worshiping idols. He says there is no, there is no other God. So Isaiah, chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and its Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and, and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. There, is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. is past <laughs> 
disgust Against all defiance Thus shall I stand fast Against all defiance Thus shall I stand fast Thus shall I stand fast The second lesson is from uh, the book of Romans, chapter 8. We live in two worlds, Paul says, though we may have to endure hardship in this present age. He says it's not worth comparing with the glory that is to come in the second. Romans, chapter 8. In my opinion, Whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The world of creation cannot as yet see reality, not because it chooses to be blind, but because in God's purpose it has been so limited. Yet it has been given hope. And the hope is that in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay and have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. It is plain to anyone with eyes to see that at the present time, all created life groans in a sort of universal travail. And it is plain, too, that we who have a foretaste of the Spirit are in a state of painful tension while we wait for that redemption of our bodies, which will mean that at last we have realized our full sonship in Him. The Word of God for the people of God. Please rise for the reading of the Gospel. of the world. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. <clears throat> 
not clear that we need to read this. Peter did such a good job explaining it before. But uh, Jesus' uh, parable is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And unlike many other parables that Jesus told, this one he explains. His disciples ask him and he explains. So we have his own explanation of the parable. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. Please be seated. Quickly come, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for our devotion this morning is the epistle lesson which was, was previously read from uh, Romans chapter 8. Brothers and sisters in Christ, last week we talked about being aliens and strangers in this world because our true home is, is in heaven. This week the epistle lesson continues that thought of living between two worlds. But there's a, a lot of uh, unusual truths that are taught in this, in this text. I even changed the, the regular uh, version to try to make it clearer. This is, this is a difficult text. Now I'm going to try to shed some light on it. But I hope you don't get through listening before I get through talking. We Christians stand between two worlds. We're part of this created world and subject to its uh, forces and limitations. But we are also citizens of the kingdom of God and encouraged by its possibilities. This causes us some difficulty. St. Paul says, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Sound familiar? How many times have you kicked yourself because of what you would have, should have, could have done, but didn't? In our text, Paul writes, we who have a foretaste of the Spirit are in a state of painful tension while we wait for that redemption of our bodies, which will mean that, at last, we have realized our full sonship in Him. It's coming. It'll happen. But we don't have it just yet. God's full plan for us, you know. Right? The very fact that we experience this tug of war in our lives is evidence that we are children of God and making our escape from the slavery of, sin, of Satan. Unbelievers aren't troubled in this way. St. Paul calls this tension, whatever we may have to go through now, whatever we may have to go through now, is the suffering Christians endure because they stand between two worlds. It's the tension between what we are and what we are becoming. We are like a half-finished portrait. Right? You can see the outline. You, you can imagine what it's going to look like, but it's not there yet. Standing between two worlds, we endure various kinds of suffering. <coughs> There's the suffering we share simply because we are in the natural world. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward is a wise judgment recorded for us in the book of Job. We suffer sickness, sorrow, disappointment, death, all the other troubles common to mankind simply because we live in a fallen world. And then there is the suffering we endure because we are Christian because we follow his ways and the rest of the world doesn't like it much. The ridicule, the, the discrimination we sometimes experience because the gospel isn't always welcome in society. Or the danger, if we happen to live in a Muslim country, for example, where in 50 countries today it is illegal to profess Christianity. It is this suffering as a Christian especially that we experience the tension of living in 
two worlds. Suffering is inevitable as long as we are in this world and in this life. To live in the world is to be surrounded by bitterness, hatred, strife, injustice, all manner of other social evils. For when our first parents disobeyed God, mankind became subject to sin and its consequences. But not just us. Strangely enough, this condition affects all of creation. When Adam fell into sin, an imperfect man could not live in a perfect world, and the whole course of nature changed. The ground now brought forth thorns and thistles as well as useful crops. All created life became subject to, to a strife and death. The earth itself became subject to earthquakes, volcanoes, violent storms. The text puts it this way, it is plain to anyone with eyes to see that at the present time all created life groans in a sort of universal travail. And the hope is that in the end the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay. This is the view of a world under God's judgment. True, it has its wonders and, and beauties, but all is tainted by human sin. Even our great achievements, such as harnessing nuclear power, can be used for our good or our destruction. Yeah, nature, at one moment beautiful and, 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 and wonderful, can in the next moment become extremely threatening. We who live in Florida during hurricane season certainly know that. And if that hasn't gotten your attention, living with coronavirus certainly has. This is the kind of world in which we live. It's a world in which violence, hatred, prejudice, greed, disease still take their toll and seemingly always will. This is the world into which God sent his son to be our savior. This is the world of which the scriptures say God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Incredible as it seems, this world, all of it, including you and me, is the object of God's love and the subject of Christ's redemption. Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love, says the Father through his prophet Jeremiah. But he didn't just love us at a distance. He put his love into action. To quote St. Paul, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are people who by faith in the blood of Christ have been redeemed. We are people, our text describes as those who have a foretaste of the Spirit. We are the sons of God coming into their own. We wait for that adoption of our bodies, which will mean that at last we have realized our full sonship in Him. Sonship in the New Testament, you remember, does not have gender value. It refers to our status, not our sex. These powerful words, if somewhat mysterious, describe the other world in which we live, the world of the kingdom of God on earth, moving toward the kingdom of God in heaven. We stand in tension between these two worlds. Why? Because we have already begun the new life in Christ. We, we have received our adoption and become children of God and heirs of eternal life. We are like small children that have been placed for adoption. They now belong to their new parents, though they carry within them inherited traits from their parents by nature. These inherited traits may cause them some trouble as many adoptive parents know. 
but as they uh, grow uh, in the, more and more into the, the, the family culture, they intend to the, grow up in their adopted home, they, they realize that they are children in the full sense of the word, beloved members of the family. So we are simultaneously sinner and saint, but we are beginning to realize what it means to be the adopted sons and daughters of God, sharing the new life in Christ. It's a process. In contrast to the old life dominated by sin, self, and Satan, we have a new life dominated by the Son of God. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ, Paul cries, knowing full well that nothing can. This is the power of redemption in our lives. This is our experiencing the kingdom of God, which Jesus says is within us. One of the more unusual aspects of our text, however, is that it teaches that redemption is not limited to us. Redemption is God's plan for the whole of creation. The world must also be freed from the restraints of death and decay. Our text reads, the world of creation has been given hope, and the hope is that in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay and have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. As man's fall into sin spoiled all of creation, so man's redemption by God includes the redemption of all created things. St. Paul shares these truths with us, not to satisfy idle curiosity, but to give us hope. The worldview of the Christian is optimistic. There's little hope for this world under the bondage of, of Satan, and much, much hope that it can ever be much better, though that should not keep us from trying. But there can be hope, a great hope, as we await our complete redemption on the last day. The basic hope of mankind is to be rescued from the grip of sin and despair, rescued from the kingdom of Satan. God sent his son to die for everyone. The real hope for the world is that Christians will be about proclaiming this gospel truth. As we reach out with the gospel, we also have the opportunity of dealing with many of the problems people have. Our Lord devoted much of his life to relieving human misery. To free men from suffering is to break some of the bonds of Satan in which the world is bound. This is incarnational living, being little Christs to those around us. So as Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. As God's adopted children in Christ, we are agents of God in helping him carry out this grand plan for the rescue of all things. Standing between two worlds, we claim in hope the glories of the new world in Christ and share the blessings of redemption with the world. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. The creed is the church's word in response to the word of God. So let us rise now and join together confessing our, our faith, the faith handed down, the faith once delivered to the saints, the faith handed down through, uh, through generation after generation until it reaches us. Today we will use as our confession the Nicene Creed. Together we confess, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, 
the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He buried and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Today I want to try something a little differently. Different. I want the prayer of the church is in petitions, <clears throat> a group of petitions. <clears throat> You're probably all familiar with this, but at the end of each petition, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and the congregation responds, in your, uh, hear our prayer, right? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We've done it lots of times. We just haven't done it here recently. <clears throat> Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord, you have been the refuge and strength of your people from generation to generation. Give to us the comfort of your presence in time of trouble, your grace to forgive our sins, and your peace to govern our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, your power holds all things together in heaven and on earth. Give wisdom to those who lead our nation and guidance to those who make, administer, and judge our laws so that life be protected and justice administered. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, your word speaks hope and life. Open our ears to hear your voice and our hearts to believe. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, your church lives by the grace you bestow through word and sacrament. Bless the pastors who preach to us this gospel and the church workers who serve us in your name. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we thank you for having sustained us through the recent storms. We pray for those who were affected by it and ask that you bless them with quick recovery. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, your mercy extends to all our needs, and your grace gives healing according to your will. We pray especially for Sandy Jacobsmeyer, who has been hospitalized. Hear us on behalf of all who stand in need. Grant them grace sufficient for their needs, and sustain them in the hour of trial. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, you give us new lives in baptismal water, and your Spirit opens our hearts to faith. Help us live out faithfully our vocation as your children in the places where we live and work and do the good works you desire. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, you have given us encouragement of the saints of old and those who taught us the faith. Help us to leave a legacy of faithfulness to those who follow us and sustain us in hope until we join the saints in Christ's eternal presence. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend ourselves and all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting in his promise, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Receive the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.